And with that, welcome to this week's installment of the Use Guys in That podcast. Uh, as you, those of you who haven't been listening regularly, you're looking for Brian. Brian has disappeared to find Christ in the wilderness, uh, or he's like Moses to bring down the Ten Commandments that he is, you know, meticulously chiseling away at. So uh, look for him to return in November. So Brian is is out once again. Those of you that didn't tune in last week or don't know what's going on. We're missing somebody, but that's okay. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to do a quick shout out to our big sponsor, agorasnexus.com. is a uh, website listing for those who are free thinkers that offer loads of products from seeds to ebooks, publishing, custom knives, coffee, crypto, and more. Check out our friends at agorasnexus.com. With us this week, I'm very excited, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, shout out to Paul B. He did a drawing of yours truly, you know, freehand. Paul, Paul's dipping his toes into a lot of puddles. Getting a lot of stuff going. I'm very pleased. He did a nice little drawing. It's exclusively on the Facebook page. So if you haven't uh, you know, found us on there, you should. Paul did a good job. I think so. Anyway, really excited this week. We're going to be talking about mutual aid with uh, somebody that I love and care about very deeply. Uh, member of the Use Guys family, member of my personal family. Uh, this is uh, Ray. She is a, uh, she's a multi-talented individual. She's an anarchist. She was an anarchist before I was. She was, a, she was an anarchist before it was really, really, really cool and really, 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 really talked about on Twitter before there was a fucking Twitter. Uh, before Al Gore invented the internet, she was there. So uh, with, uh, with that, <laughs> Ray, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Well, good evening, my fellow astronauts. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, JP, you do me entirely too much credit. Jay, you're a wonderful guy, and um, I always feel like you say nice things about me. Sometimes I don't deserve it, but um, <laughs> glad to be here. And I uh, wanted to let you guys know, uh, if Jay hadn't told you already, we have already acquired a new bicycle team member uh, from one of the listeners to your podcast. So that's awesome, and we're not worried that he's going to fit right in because he's already an anarchist. Even better. Even better. Even better. I'm glad to hear that. So this week, uh, we our topic that we are going to be discussing is mutual aid. So this is a, um, you know, it's, it's, let me put it, it's a theory. I, I don't want to say, I mean, it is a theory, but it's very much, it's widely practiced. But it's a, um, it's a total, it's basically a total exchange uh, based on voluntary action, let's say. So, you know, of services or a resource for the benefit of, you know, both parties involved. You know, individuals take the responsibility for caring for one another. Uh, it was popularized by an anarchist that we've talked about on this show before. Uh, I guess you could say one of the founders of anarcho-communism, I guess, as we've come to know it. Uh, Peter Kropotkin, who is truly an amazing individual. He wrote an essay collection called Mutual Aid, A Factor of Evolution. The argument put forth by Kropotkin was that it is cooperation and not competition that was the force behind evolution and that ma that mutual aid, excuse me, has been promoted through the process of natural selection. So I have a couple of examples to pull from from this essay that he wrote. The link will be in the show notes. It's from the anarchist library. So it's completely free for all of you to go ahead and check out and read. So these are a couple of my favorite excerpts. We could take several episodes to really digest this entire thing. So we're just going to take a couple. So hang with me. So. Uh, you know, this is my, actually, this is my favorite one. It's about the crab. No, not the crab that you get from Linda at the bar because you were misbehaving, but actual, the crab in the water. You know what I mean? One of the many kinds of crab. So I'll begin, quote, 
Even among animals standing at a somewhat lower stage of organization, we may find like examples. Some land crabs of the West Indies and North America combine in large swarms in order to travel to the sea and to deposit therein their spawn. And each such migration implies concert, cooperation, and mutual support. As to the big Maluka crab, I was struck, uh, in quotations 1882, at the Brighton Aquarium, with the extent of mutual assistance which these clumsy animals are capable of bestowing upon a comrade in case of need. One of them had fallen upon its back in a corner of the tank, and its heavy saucepan-like uh, carap- what is it, uh, carapace? Uh, prevented it from returning to its natural position, the more so as there was in the corner an iron bar which rendered the task still more difficult. Its comrades came to the rescue, and for one hour's time I watched how they endeavored to help their fellow prisoner. They came to at once, pushed their friend from beneath, and after strenuous efforts succeeded in lifting it upright, but then the iron bar would prevent them from achieving the work of rescue, and the crab would, would again heavily fall upon its back. After many attempts, one of the helpers would go into the depths of the tank and bring two other crabs, which would begin with fresh, re- fresh forces, excuse me, the same pushing and lifting of their helpless comrade. We stayed at the aquarium for more than two hours. Imagine Peter Kropotkin just watching crabs do this. I think it's fa- fantastic. We stayed at the aquarium for more than two hours. And when leaving, we again came to cast a glance upon the tank. The work of rescue still continued. Since I saw that I cannot refuse credit to the observation quoted by Dr. Erasmus Darwin, namely, the common crab during the molting season stations as sentinel, an unmolted crab or hard-shelled individual, to prevent marine enemies from injuring molted individuals in their unprotected state. So that's just one example. The next one I like, he kind of like this, I actually really enjoyed reading this over again. I highly recommend it to the listeners. Kropotkin's a brilliant mind. I don't really care if the, to argue economics. That's that's absolutely moot on this show. Those of you know, we took a different direction. You're free to believe whatever you want when it comes to economics. But we're, we're talking about a brilliant mind, just like we all love Emma Goldman. We might not necessarily agree with, you know, the economic principles that she believes in, but she believes in, you know, maximum equality and freedom for all of us, just as much as the people that would be in, you know, the commune that where she was at. So remember, it's okay to read this stuff. You're not going to you're not going to be marching in step with Lenin. This guy doesn't like Lenin. Trust me. So I'm going to continue. Um, post-glacial period. This is another example from uh, this, uh, you know, this work that he put together. Post-glacial period example. Quote, if we now go over to positive evidence, we see that the earliest traces of man dating from the glacial or early post-glacial period afford unmistakable proofs of man having lived even, in, in, even then in societies. Isolated fine stone implements, even from old stone age, are very rare on the contrary, wherever one flint implement is discovered, others are sure to be found, in most cases in very large quantities. At a time when men were dwelling in caves or under occasionally protruding rocks, in company with mammals now extinct, and hardly succeeding in making the roughest sort of flint hatchets, they already knew the advantages of life in societies. In the valleys of the tributaries of the Durongue, the surface of the rocks in some of these places entirely covered with caves which were inhabited by paleolithic men sometimes the cave dwellings are super are superpo- uh, superposed excuse me in stories and they certainly recall much more the nest the nesting of colonies of swallows than dens of carnivores 
As to the flint implements discovered in those caves, to use Lubbock's words, one may say without exaggeration that they are numberless. The same is true for other Paleolithic stations. It also appears from Lartet's investigations that the inhabitants of the Aurignac region in the south of France partook of tribal meals at the burial of their dead, so that men lived in societies and had germs of tribal worship even at that extremely remote epoch. The same is still better proved as regards the latter part of the Stone Age. Traces of Neolithic man have been found in numberless quantities so that we can reconstitute his manner of life to a great extent. When the ice cap, which much, much had spread from the polar regions as far south as middle France, middle Germany and middle Russia and covered Canada, as well as a good deal of what is now the United States began to melt away, the surfaces freed from ice were covered first with swamps and marshes and later on with numberless lakes. Lakes filled all depressions of the valleys before the waters dug out those permanent channels, which during a subsequent epoch became our rivers. And wherever we explore in Europe, Asia, America, the shores of literally numberless lakes of that period, whose proper name would be the lacustrine period, we find traces of Neolithic man. They are so numerous that we can only wonder at the relative density of population at the time. The stations of Neolithic men closely follow each other on other terraces, which now mark the shores of old lakes. And each of those stations, stone implements appear in such numbers that no doubt it is possible as to the length of time during which they were inhabited by rather numerous tribes. The whole workshops of flint implements testifying to the numbers of workers who used to come together have been discovered by archaeologists. Excuse me. The point that Mr. Kropotkin is trying to make here is that as far back as we can go, that in nature that we can observe, you know, with the crabs, you know, trying to rescue their friend, and then we can see human beings gathering, you know, in tribes, uh, working together. So the idea here, it's not competition, Per, per se, like, you know, in the Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, you know, fashion, it's more cooperation that gets human beings to advance. And I guess, you know, fulfill natural selection or, you know, like we said earlier in the show. Now, I, I, I think that there's a lot. I, first of all, he's a naturalist. So when you dive into this bad boy, understand that the man is going to be very descriptive. You've seen just talking about watching a crab for two hours in an aquarium. The man has a lot to say just about that. So it's a it's a fantastic read, regardless of, you know, whether you're looking for, uh, you know, it's just to entertain yourself, let's say. But it's really important here to, to understand that mutual aid is is exclusive from charity. You know, I think we could all agree that those two things can be mutually exclusive and are mutually exclusive to a great extent. OK, so what is the difference? So mutual aid is decentralization and self-management. OK. So an individual gets what they need and the individual gets what they can. In the wake of like Hurricane Katrina, for example, most of you could probably remember that. Uh, mutual aid disaster relief provided emergency medical care, rebuilding infrastructure, and more. Uh, of, a lot of this was more of a response to the absolute shit response of local and state governments. So these people didn't have time to wait around for Uncle Sugar or, you know, any of his uh, <laughs> friends to come down and help. They dove in there and helped with direct action. So that's kind of what we're getting at. So those of you who've seen, I know that I've seen this in my community. I'm sure that, uh, that Angel has seen this. I don't know about the rest of you. But in our community, you, you see like neighborhood pantries and libraries 
that's kind of a form of mutual aid right there. Okay, take what you need, give with what you can, but there's no coercive element necessary. If you feel like it, you give. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, community fridges, bail funds. So like a lot of stuff that was happening with the Black Lives Matter marches that happened last year when they murdered uh, George Floyd, you had people coming together and putting money together for bail fund for those who were getting arrested during the protest. That's a form of mutual aid as well. Um, those of you should be familiar at least a little bit with the Black Panthers. You've probably heard of them before. Okay. Uh, they started a free breakfast program in Oakland. And we're feeding more than 10,000 kids every day prior to the start of school. And then that program expanded to uh, the entire country with free clothes, medical care, and groceries. Uh, I think that that's, a one, like, that's one of the reasons why I like Black Panthers, along with not being big fans of the police and staying armed at all times. I mean, I think that this is a wonderful concept. But uh, this was before, this was BC, before Chris, we did a show. Uh, Angel and I talking about what was going on. Uh, this was, I think, in March of 2020. So we're approaching almost two years since we talked about this. Uh, we, uh, we had a really moving example, and I truly mean moving because it was really awesome to read this, uh, about anarchists in Greece. So this will be also be in the show notes, you guys, if you want to check it out. Uh, this, uh, hundreds of bags of groceries and other necessities were donated by members of the infamous Greek anarchist group to the nursing home of the municipality of Athens. Quote, today we visited Athens nursing home following its appeal to meet its needs with essentials and cleaning products to take care of the health and dignity of the elderly it, it hosts. With the help of those who responded to our call, we were able to gather several products, the Rubicon stated in their announcement. The group concluded its statement by saying, all we have is each other. And I think that's a very powerful statement. And that's something that really rings true, I think, with all of us who fly under the black flag, uh, that it, it truly is all we have is each other. You can only rely on, you know, on your neighbors and, and your friends in your small community, you know, whatever it may be. But this is an example of mutual aid literally at work here. The Rubicon, known in, um, that's known in Greece, is an activist anarchist collective based in Athens, which was formed in 2013 in the middle of Greece's severe financial crisis. Uh, food, not bombs. I think some of you, Paul B., you probably have heard of this guy, too. Uh, I know Ray's heard of this group before. Food, not bombs is a loose knit group of independent collectives founded by Keith McHenry, Joe Swanson, Mira Brown, Susan Eaton, and Brian uh, Feinbaum, C.T. Lawrence Butler, Jesse Constable, and Amy Rothstein, sharing free vegan and veg vegetarian food with others. Food Not Bombs ideology is the myriad corporate and government priorities are skewed to allow hunger to persist in the midst of abundance. To demonstrate this and to reduce costs, a large amount of the food served by the group is surplus food from the groceries, bakeries, and markets that would otherwise go to waste or occasionally have already been thrown away speaking of which i know christopher and i got really worked up about this i'm sure ray did too do you remember where the goddamn police were pouring bleach on food because they would rather poison and destroy food than allow individuals to feed each other this is your government at work ladies and gentlemen this is the state at work they also arrested some remember they arrested some guy in texas because he didn't have some sort of fucking permit to feed the homeless feeding the homeless yeah jesus tap dancing christ ladies and gentlemen i don't know what to tell you people i mean it, it is even... permit there's a permit for that <laughs> yeah go ahead ray please 
Well, you know, even even um, long before this, I don't know, like what the audience, uh, how how the age skews for the audience here, but you know, back in like the early two thousands, I know um, I was doing a lot of work with the immigration community, kind of food not bombs style, like distribution for people who had recently come here. In the greater Akron area, we have a very large Nepalese population. Yep. Those people are fleeing China, like just everything they can do to get out. And um, so it's kind of keeping abreast of the things that were going on in the rest of the country. People were being arrested in like Arizona and Texas for giving water to people who were uh, illegally crossing the border. And it's like, how, who are you to deny a human being water? Like what, I don't know, if I lived in that area and I had property and I saw a person who was obviously ill and dehydrated mm -hmm. crawling across the field, I'd be like, bro, can I give you some water? Mm -hmm. Can I, can I like wash your clothes? Can I, can I feed you? This is being asked to deny your humanity uh, because of some arbitrary law. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. And I know like it went on long before that since long before any of us were here. Yep. Um, this is a consistent, persistent, um, ongoing problem with top-down organization. Agreed. Agreed. Well said. Um, you know, here's, here's, this is something I would like to get everybody's input on because I tried to find some decent criticisms of mutual aid, uh, you know, and most of the detractors, I mean, come from a statist argument. So you're already kind of slated to lose a little bit, at least if you're going to engage in direct argument with people. Once again, like Christopher and I have talked before, and I know that Ray and I have talked before, we have the ball, but it's on their field and on their rules, they're going to lose. So the best thing you can do is take your ball and go play somewhere else. But here are some examples. I'd like to get your guys' opinion, if you wouldn't mind, on the uh, those uh, detractors and the challenges to mutual aid, and if you feel that they are valid or if they're invalid. So let's go through them real quickly. So one of them we'll start is the lack of technical experts funding and legitimization by the public okay we'll, we'll we'll come back to that we'll come back to that i'm already bothered uh the second thing is lack of full-time staff may limit the volume of work that can be co uh, completed especially work that must be done during traditional operating hours yet again um we will come back to that we'll come back to all of this because i already have a swollen problem with the first two i'm sure to have one with the rest of them Informal status may disqualify eligibility for government grants and tax benefits. Yep, that's why people start mutual aid organizations. Get that old fucking write-off. You can see the Black Panthers lining up for one. That's a boo. Yeah, that's that's a boo hiss. We're throwing mm -hmm. a hiss at that one. <laughs> Throw a couple <laughs> rotten tomatoes, too. <laughs> uh, next, we have development of concentrated social hierarchies may lead to discrimination and a movement away from mutual aid principles. OK, we'll get back to that. See, I'm with you on that one, Ray. I can kind of feel that one. Those of you who are not watching this, she's kind of going back and forth with her hand. Maybe we'll get back to that. And finally, burnout by those that are able to help ma maintain mutual aid proje uh, projects. I think that um, I think that that is actually a valid concern. So let's start at the top of the list, shall we? All right. Lack of technical experts funding and legitimization by the public, first of all. I'll start off legitimization by the public. At what point in time has any anarchist community ever cared about the legitimization 
by the public. Like you're waiting for the fucking approval of the hoi polloi. Like, are you are you serious right now? Like, I mean, this is a. I mean, what do you go ahead, Ray? What do you think about that? Go ahead. Take action first and ask questions later. Agreed. It's been my experience uh, working in, uh, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, like in personal direct anarchism as, as a permanent lifestyle. It's better to not tell people, hey, we're doing mutual aid and here are all the theoretical importances and here's why it's important from a evolutionarily, you know, biological perspective. And here's this, and here's you just go, bro, we're spreading the stoke. And people eventually start to say, oh, I like this. I like the feeling of helping and being helped. I, I like being part of a community. I don't need to be told what to do by someone to know how to do the right thing. So, I mean, a lack of legitimacy or organization, those aren't, those aren't something that you start with. Those are something that you develop over time mm -hmm. with trust and with effort. Absolutely. That is community building. You start by just telling people we're going to, just try this with me. Just try it once. Try it twice. Two bite rule, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is, I think this is a, it, it, it feels like it's an argument that moves in the opposite direction. Sure. I think that that's fair. Do you think that there's a little bit of gatekeeping with that? Like if you're saying like, like who's going to show up and say, hey, you have to read this pamphlet on why our anarchist group is so awesome. And then we'll give you the paper towels and sanitary napkins and food and other shit that you need. You know what I mean? Like most people are just going to show up to help because they want to help because they're driven to do so regardless. Like, you know, I'm sure this anarcho-communist group that we were talking about in Greece, do you think they went inside and talked to the, all the old folks and said, excuse me, um, have you read Bakunin? Um, have you read uh, uh, Anarchist Theory? No, they just showed up to fucking help people because they wanted to help. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's funny, but like, that's who would do that, right? Like, I mean, who would really do that? I'm going to say this. It's going to be one of these things that um, Brian's going to be really bummed he wasn't here. So if he listens later, I'm going to give him a moment to get his notebook out and write it down because I'm about to say <laughs> one of those things. Go on. Gatekeeping is only for the privileged. People who are in need or people who have a burning desire to help because they're connected in some way to their humanity, we don't gatekeep. It's an absurd thing. Gatekeeping is, is for those who are privileged and set aside, that are removed from suffering, who have not experienced it and lack the empathy to um, make direct action and, and try to alleviate some of the suffering that we see in our modern circumstance. So uh, Brian can turn that into a little pithy one-liner and, and publish it later. <laughs> <laughs> He'll get that joke, even if you guys don't. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's excellent. And uh, I appreciate your point of view. I think that that was very astute. And uh, yeah, you, you make an excellent point and I, and I really do appreciate it. So let's tackle the second line, gang. Uh, lack of full-time staff may limit the volume of work that be, can be completed, especially work that must be done during traditional operating hours. There is nothing traditional about anarchism. In fact, anarchism seeks to destroy a lot of tradition. Um, I was just going to ask, what are traditional operating hours? Well, I mean, perhaps eight to five. We are only feeding the homeless, ladies and gentlemen, from eight to five. You show up now or at 501, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So like if somebody gets hungry at 6 p.m., they're, you know. Sorry. No snacks. Kitchen so, uh, 
yeah kitchen yeah no soup for you <laughs> no soup for you i mean really like first of all a lot of these folks don't even work like quote traditional jobs so like eight to fives or four seven or whatevers so they're already engaging in, in in helping people according to the needs of the people that need to be helped it's not about hey listen i'm only going to do this between x amount and x amount you know what i mean go ahead ray what do you have to say i mean we have this economy that's built on a 24 hour work cycle. What about the guys who work third shift up at the Amazon facility in Twinsburg? Like, True. I mean, though, I mean, maybe, maybe those guys are like, Hey, you know, I could stop by and help out at seven o'clock in the morning. Maybe that's not such a crazy thing to say. Um, and, and I know what I'm going to, I'm going to just, this is the dead horse I'm going to beat today. I think, um, again, Privileged people who have never lived in a world where you work anything other than an, an eight to four or nine to five Monday through Friday work week. Sure. Yeah, of course, these people are going to think that, um, you know, you don't, well, who's, who's going to help during those hours while I'm at work? Because I'm the only person who matters. I'm the only work experience <laughs> I know. I can't even relate to like what these other people's lives might be like. Right. You know, this constant struggle with my mother, who you think after 42 years, um, having birthed me that many years ago, would have got used to all this by now. Says things like, um, well, you don't even have a job. And I'm like, mom, I, I run two businesses and I work as an independent contractor. I'm working all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I'm working random jobs throughout the day. I'm gig working, I'm painting, I'm showing in galleries, I'm running the bike team, I'm doing sip and paints. I have a very, odd schedule mm -hmm. but when my neighbor calls me and says hey uh, and literally this happened last week um my dad is being taken to the hospital he's got bone cancer and the chemo is reacting badly his calcium levels are sky high they hauled him off in an ambulance today my stepmother is in a panic state her riding lawnmower is taken apart in the driveway would you please come and assemble the lawnmower i looked at my watch and i said I get two things I have to do, but I could be there at one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Now her riding lawnmower works again. Our lives are so flexible and so changeable. And I really think you're coming from a place of, and I don't even want to call it ignorance. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, what's the word for when you're ultra sheltered? I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me with that. I don't know. I just think about it being like living in a bubble, like completely and totally uneducated and unexposed to the realities, the harsh realities of life, you know, especially mm -hmm. for those who don't come from a strong uh, economic background, let's say. But I would just say, you know, some of them are just assholes. There's not really, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't have There's to be a technical that. term. There's you know, some of them are just fucking assholes. You know, that's it. Well, you, I mean, you there's know. always a few everywhere you go, right? Yeah, <laughs> truly. And you know what the thing is, too, is like in those of you that listen to the show regularly and I, and I love you all very dearly and you know this, uh, but the, but you already know that everybody here isn't very much a religious person, uh, including uh, Brian, who is missing. Uh, but I will say that there are a lot of churches, a lot of religious organizations of all stripes, mm -hmm. including the Satanic Temple, uh, who do real good mutual aid community work uh, to help people. And, uh, I, you know, the best part about it, like I, I, I work near um, the heroin addicts uh, that live under a bridge in downtown Akron. And uh, right down the road from my, my loading dock is a Catholic church. It's the largest church in the city called St. Bernard's. And St. Bernard's 
uh, when you go there, you don't have to, you know how they have the collection plate that comes around for people to donate money, you know, for the lights or for the defend the pedophile fund or whatever it might be, um, you know, whatever it might be. They also say you don't need to bring money. You can bring canned goods. You can bring food because they operate a soup kitchen downstairs where the entirety of Akron can come and eat a, a, a hot meal and get, you know, get some food in them. Uh, I spent my, I spent my youth working in that food kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother is a devout Catholic. Um, although I've, I was, I never participated in the faith spiritually. Um, I did use it as an opportunity to, uh, to help out where I could. And I spent many nights um, in the soup kitchen at St. Bernard's. And for those of you who are listening, who have not ever done this type of thing, um, I encourage you highly to try it. People have stories to share there. It's just the, the soup kitchen isn't just nourishment. It's an opportunity for human beings to connect with each other. Mm. I would have people tell me, um, thank you so much for serving me food. And, and it's like, oh, well, you know, can I, can I get you a takeaway box or do you need anything? And they're like, well, you know, I could use someone to talk to. And like 16 year old Ray, you know, punk rocker working at the soup kitchen. And it was like, amazing. It was, it was an amazing opportunity to, you're not just giving food when you work somewhere like that. Um, you're giving humanity to people and that's really important. So um, I, I agree with you, Jay, don't be, uh, don't be intimidated or concerned about going and volunteering your time. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if there's if the biggest soup kitchen in, in your area is run by the Lutheran church, just go and be like, yo, I'm a Jew, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Muslim, I'm a whatever, I'm an atheist, I'm a Satanist, but I'm two hands and a brain and I want to help. And uh, it will be a truly rewarding experience. You got to encourage people to move out of their boundaries a little bit mm-hmm. and find things that we have in common with each other. And I think this is what, um, you know, we're talking about as far as like this theory of mutual aid as a survival mechanism. Yeah. Um, there's a whole infrastructure trying to pull us apart. Yeah. I, I think that's well said once they've, again. They've been, they've been rather successful as of late too. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. There, I think that's a great point. I think it's an act of humility to see, you know, your fellow human being that, you know, if, if you're fortunate that never had, you never had that experience, then, you know, it's good to remind you that, um, you know, things could always be worse and you can always help out. And I think that that's uh, very noble. So let me ask you this. Um, is there anything else here on this list? Like, I'm going to go and jump in here real quick. In you know, the, the, the one detractor here, informal status may disqui- eligibility, disqualify eligibility from government grants and tax benefits. Fuck you. Uh, that's not why people do those things. They're not interested, nor do they care uh, to profit from uh, grants and tax benefits. They do it because they give a fuck. Mm-hmm. So moving on from that stupid piece of shit point of view, <laughs> um, development of concentrated Social hierarchies may lead to discrimination and a movement away from mutual aid principles. Did we kind of touch on that a little bit before when we were talking about gatekeeping? Uh, what do you guys think about it? Chris, you uh, want to go first? My my beer's my beer's empty. I need to I need to re up on that. Uh, repeat the question. <laughs> sure. Development of concentrated social hierarchies may lead to discrimination and a movement away from mutual aid principles. I mean, yeah, it definitely falls back on the whole 
gatekeeping thing. It it just sounds like a bullshit point. Like, oh, like, you know, you guys are going to form your own little clique and you're going to start like not including people. Right. Which is which is like a a, a bullshit claim, because once again, like anybody that's looking for like volunteers to be helping hands, you know, like like Ray said, like it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a local Lutheran church or or a a Catholic church, like they're not going to ask you, like, what's your denomination? Correct. They're going to be more interested in the fact that you're willing to come and and lend a hand and help out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that whole, you know, like, you know, might, uh, you know, promote discrimination of some kind. It it just sounds like bullshit buzzwords. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you there also, you know, when I think about this, so if I dissect that sentence a little bit here, Development of concentrated social hierarchies may lead to discrimination and a movement away from mutual aid principles. Okay, so we discussed what the mutual aid principles were, right? Take what you need, give what you can. Mm -hmm. So how do we move away from principles of mutual aid? Does it become a, you have to give me this if I give you that? Well, then we've- The immediate immediate thing that comes to mind for me is first, like when the church used to make you sing a hymn or convert to get, say, drug abuse therapy or alcoholism therapy etc but the thing that came to mind for me immediately when you said that was um not so much a movement towards discriminating against people Mm -hmm. for what they can and can't have but i see sometimes movements that start out and i'm going to tread really lightly here movements that start out being incredibly valid mutual aid driven Mm -hmm. people helping movements where someone at the top ends up with six or $7 million houses. Some of you may know to who I am referring. Loud and clear. Going to not say it out loud. Sure. Um, because I think it's impolite. And um, you know, those people eventually get called out. If the movement is good and the people are involved for the right reasons, those leaders get removed. But you see this all the time. You see it a lot, um, you know, who's making money off this Mm -hmm. and when it turns from you know an aid giving organization to someone at the top starts to say oh well look i can um i can turn a buck on this you know now we've got a problem yeah absolutely that's what came to mind for me no that's great you know what comes to mind for me and i know christopher's experienced this um angel might have a little bit but um christopher and i worked together for a number of years at a certain warehouse and uh, every year was this fucking drive for United Way, and it would literally mm-hmm. churn my stomach, mm-hmm. churn my stomach, because you knew that out of the dollar you donated, we they you, the, these statistics are readily available maybe, for the oil maybe twenty cents actually goes correct to like the charity. Yeah, if you're yeah, lucky, it, twenty cents is right. huge in that right, industry. Right, right. Yeah, and Susan, that, that's G. Why, like, Susan G. Coleman. Susan G. Coleman. That's all I'm yeah. going to say about that. Yeah. Those that's things. why I'd rather trust like like you know mutual aid versus what they would consider to be like a legitimate charity or one that's approved by the people like they proclaim to be nonprofit but then they got CEOs that are making millions of dollars and then you know like we yep. just said like you donate a dollar and you're lucky if fucking 20 cents of it goes towards the cause that you're donating to and it's just like you know this is and what a you valid call organization legitimate. yeah not at yeah, all a valid yeah. a valid organization that um that is respectable and yeah it really gives a shit about people 
um, we'll send you if you if you ask, even without donating, we'll email you or mail you in the physical mm -hmm. snail mail their um, fiscal statement. Mm -hmm. A company that doesn't make that readily available on their website or by request uh, immediately, I just sorry, I don't care if you're a nonprofit agency or not. Um, I don't trust it. In fact, I joined the local satanic temple. I'm sorry, um, friends. <laughs> um, I didn't join the church itself, but I joined the, the local group just to participate in some of the mutual aid stuff they were doing. Um, you can tell who's doing the real work and who isn't. Uh, for those of you in the greater Mahoning Valley, which is where I live, um, so think like Youngstown, Pittsburgh area, um, Mahoning Valley Rescue is a wonderful charity and they're working in a shoestring shoe budget. And I think their fiscal statement, they waste 19 cents out of every dollar you donate. Like, and they'll tell you, you can call on the phone and they'll say, listen, and that really just goes to putting stamps on envelopes to get mm -hmm. your check back, you know? Um, right. it, it covers paying for their website. They don't advertise. But Rescue Mission of Mahoning Valley is a wonderful charity. And they told me right away, we're just, this is how we operate. And you can tell the honesty sure. there. You, I, would, I would challenge anyone to call your local United Way and say, can I see the fiscal reporting for this chapter? See <laughs> what they say. What? I, I mean, we're all about, we're supposed to challenge authority, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. We yeah, just, absolutely. we just, it's rhetorical I'm, I'm, at that point. I, I'm, a, I'm only laughing because I can just imagine what kind of response. That <laughs> That's exactly mean. right. Like, oh, you uh, want a just, fiscal report? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, just steam. Steam is coming out of people's ears, you know. Right. Um, oh, shit, another one of those assholes called asking right. for the fiscal report. No, it's true. And, you know, the thing is also, when we're talking about the, uh, you know, the 19 cents, for example, that you gave uh, that full disclosure up front says a lot about an organization saying a full disclosure out of your dollar X amount goes to literally essentially yep. keep the lights on or keep the thing moving or what have you. And that I mean, who can't appreciate that? I think that that's wonderful. Straight up front. I think it's great. So and finally, our last point, which um, we could touch on a little bit here is burnout by those that are able to help maintain mutual aid projects. I think this more refers to the uh, limited uh, manpower or people power that you have available to you because a lot of times some of these individuals, people, I don't want to say get lazy, but they're like, oh, person X over there that, you know, they got it. They're always doing this. They're always doing that. They're, you know, where people don't jump in, they just assume everything is okay. Mm -hmm. And maybe you will have somebody that gets burnt out. And this is not just exclusive Caregiver to mutual aid. Is real. Yeah, Caregiver absolutely. burnout is real across the board everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. yep. But again, this argument denies a basic fact about mutual aid from my perspective and what I've experienced in the last year, my big personal mutual aid project is um, spreading the stoke is a Katamari ball, man. It, it, it just takes one or two people and it's like snowball down mountain. Yeah, people want to be involved. And if you, and, and if you, and if you have a, if you start to give people the opportunity in a voluntary fashion and say like, hop in, hop out, you know, I just think caregiver burnout is real for sure. So that's why I said, eh, kind of, maybe a little sometimes, but I don't know. I also think that like people are energized by being around other positive people who are doing things that they think are important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's well put. 
So we want to switch real quick. We want to talk about what you're up to specifically. So now that we got through a lot of uh, the meat and the bones behind, you know, the theory and, and, and Kropotkin and the popularization of mutual aid. So your personal uh, experience and journey with mutual aid, I'd like to talk about that if you wouldn't mind taking over and talking about specifically Team Mandalore and spreading the stoke. Okay, so uh, as Jay mentioned at the beginning of this very interesting experience, um, I am pretty much a lifelong anarchist. I've, I've tried to work within the system a little bit. I gave it a shot in my 20s. I thought maybe um, I've, just, I've just come back to what I always knew was um, probably like for me, the best way to do things. I think the number one important thing a person can do is know like I sleep, at, I sleep like a baby. You can sleep at night you're doing okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, what am I not doing? Um, my notes say uh, I'm an artist, anarchist, and bicycle racer. I'm also an astronomical scientist, musician, and IWW union member. I'm interested in the practical applications of personal anarchism and mutual aid. Um, so my brother and our friend started a racing team, a bicycle racing team as a joke. And it turned out to not be a joke. So uh, that's the story of Team Mandalore. Basically what happened was I decided to do this really big thing. Mm. And the team that I was um, professionally racing with uh, didn't want to support me. And I said, it's fine, I'll support myself. So under our joke team name, Team Mandalore, um, I went out looking for sponsors to help me afford this enormous undertaking. I was going to do a point-to-point um, -point race in the UP in Northern Michigan, um, where my family's from. And I was going to cost a ton of money and I didn't have the equipment I needed. And I, and I was like, well, I'm just going to ask people and see what happens. And my sponsorship was so amazing. And the amount of support that people gave me was so great. I've, talked to my brother and our friend and I said, you know, dudes, um, we could help more people. Like there are resources here that I didn't realize were available. Think about what we could do. Like maybe team Mandalore should be a thing. And I also want to qualify. This is very important to Jeff who will probably be listening. We have been called team Mandalore for about 10 years as a gag, not based on the Mandalorian TV show, but on the old expanded universe Star Wars books about how people didn't, Team Mandalore was a planet of immigrants. You came to Mandalore and said, I wanna live by the Mandalore code and you were in, and that was it. And our family is like that. Uh, Jay and Angel know this, we're, we're full of haves and steps and adopteds and once removes and just kids that showed up 20 years ago and never left and it's like, that was how we always thought of ourselves, that Mandalore was the best planet and we felt like it fit our family. So a year ago, we opened our beer-soaked front porch to anyone who would, who would come. And uh, the idea was to spread the stoke as hard as we could. So we were gonna gather sponsors, um, we were gonna get money, we were gonna give it to people who needed it. Um, once you've done the initial investment of getting a bicycle, bicycle racing is pretty cheap. I came to, bicycles from motorcycles because racing a motorcycle is really expensive. And anyone who's met me, I'll race anything, has wheels, will go. Um, 
So, you know, I, I feel like some things about my notes that I, I made this week as I was very concerned about coming on this fine program. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what makes a bicycle team a mutual aid organization versus just a regular team that you would join? So most teams, for those of you not in the know, you pay money, um, they help you with a personal trainer, training plan, um, maybe support at races, you have some teammates to work with. Um, while you're actively racing, like in a Peloton, um, really like gives you kind of a place to belong. Yeah. So you maybe discounts from sponsors, ambassadorships from different companies, things like that. Um, so I thought, well, this would be great, except I didn't want it to only be for our team. So the first thing we did was we made it non-exclusive. Most teams, when you join, you sign an exclusivity clause. You're only working with that team. We said, nope, you can work with our team too. Mm -hmm. And in fact, stay with your current team, work with our team. We'll, we'll even help your current team. So we actually provide aid to our racers and to their sub teams or IMBA, which is the International Mountain Bike Association clubs. Um, we'll work with anyone. So I, I said, you know, if we're going to, we're going to do this, we're going to help everybody. So yeah. uh, neutral support, that's another um, thing that we, you know, like St. Bernard's does it well. Uh, you don't have to be Catholic to get the soup kitchen at St. Bernard's. You don't even really have to be a Mandalore for us to help you. We'll, we'll help right. you anyways. Um, yeah. We're collective and democratic. Everything operates on an up or down vote. Um, I am technically the team captain and our uh, teammate Brian is technically the assistant captain, mm -hmm. but I decided to make it like a hockey team. We're not managers. We're not owners. Uh, we're not the boss. We are fellow players fellow teammates, we just do um, some of the nuts and bolts shit that no one else wants to do. Like, sure. I'm going to be licking envelopes all week, thanking our 2021 sponsors for their efforts. <laughs> um, you know, so we do that. We provide full financial disclosure to everyone. And um, we also said it was really important for us um, that everyone was able to do what they wanted. So we wanted to have any types of people. Some teams are only road racing teams or mountain bike teams. And we said, no, everybody, anybody will support anyone, any type of racing. And we didn't want kids to pay. Mm -hmm. So our juniors don't pay for their uniforms. They don't pay for their race registrations. Um, we raise money all year. We build bikes for the kids. Um, our juniors can get a bike from us if they need one. Um, little superstar Q, she got a new road bike this year and we bought it from the team account, we did an up or down vote. Everyone said they thought she was responsible enough and ready for a new bike to help her road racing career. And she's been working it off at $10 an hour, mowing our lawns, <laughs> stocking the bike shop, helping me here at headquarters. Um, we maintain a clubhouse that's open to everyone on the team with tools, bikes, supplies, um, hydration, um, chain lube, CO2 cartridges for filling up tires, you know, all of that. And um, we also offer scholarship assistance to Mandalorians in need. Uh, I handle that exclusively, no questions asked. So we do have a fee for team members. We ask that adult team members donate $100 when they join the team. This gets them their first jersey, which costs us about $75. The other 25 goes into the fund to help the kids. So, um, you know, we try to do everything we can for everyone we can. And our team went from me and my brother and our friend to like, I think we've got 22 people and several new applicants already this year. So 
Um, that's the long and the short of it, I guess. Oh, it's well. a tiny grassroots mutual aid thing. No, I think it's fantastic. People get to do what they love. No, for sure. I mean, I think that that's awesome what you're able to do for especially for the kids and stuff to get them in um, and also having the clubhouse open for everybody that, you know, to use as they need, you know, and then give what they can. Also, the kids, you know, we're OK, we're going to pay for the bike, but you know what? That's OK. You can work it off a little bit at a time, you know, to help out. I think that it's very cool. Um, very. Uh, it seems like a, a real warm environment for everybody. And I think it's awesome that you've grown it to what it is. And I can only hope that it continues to grow. Um, where, where can people find more information about Team Mandalore? Yeah, if you're, a, if you're a bicycle enthusiast and you're interested in mutual aid and joining an organization, our motto is um, race hard, talk shit, make love. Um, and of course, I don't mean love like fucking. I mean like big love, like love other people. So right you know, the sort of the greater platonic sense Sure. And um, we can be found all over the place. Uh, our website is teammandalore.com. We are on team on Facebook as Team Mandalore. We are on Instagram as Team Mandalore. If you need to talk to me personally about something, I am on Facebook as Ray Rides. I am Ray Faba on Instagram. I'm also easy to find. Um, we're doing a super fun fundraiser this year for the kids. Every year I do a new design. One year I did running shirts, um, I did hats. So this year we're doing hockey sweaters and um, I put the use guys in that podcast, Rondell on the front. Um, I'm you. sure we can link to that image. Um, so we're selling hockey jerseys to fund our juniors, um, get them started for the season. If we're gonna have, we had three juniors last year and we are going to have six this year already. So we've had three new juniors come on, um, another adult. So. You know, we're going to be busy making sure everyone has a great time and, um, you know, that we're, we're able to volunteer doing, uh, we do some bicycle clinics and things throughout the season. And we keep those on our um, Facebook page and our Instagram. Uh, we do like uh, kids learn how to wrench on their own bikes, like learn basic maintenance, learn how to change your tire. I do criterium racing classes. I do track classes at the Cleveland Velodrome if you want to learn how to go sideways on the toilet bowl. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a ton of fun. So, you know, look us up if you're interested. And um, I'm going to go on mute real quick and make sure that my extra barky dog keeps his mouth shut. Because I know um, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to bombing quiz time. So, yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> well, you know, there was a lot of consternation on Ray's behalf as we were approaching uh, the, uh, the day of execution, as it were, when it comes to quiz time. And I assured her. That there was nothing to worry about because we have had so many perfect rounds on this show where nobody got anything right. And we've had a lot of struggle bus sessions where we were, you know, struggling to get four and five right because apparently I'm a, I'm I'm putting together quizzes that are just out of this world difficult. And you know, I know Angel was cheating last week when she was, was looking not. down at her phone, Bullshit. looking up answers <laughs> on this show. I, yeah, I heard some uh, I heard some smack about that, Angel. It's, it's a shame. It's, it's all lies. It's it's, it's all it's, lies. It's a shame. <laughs> and since we can transition beautifully into that, ladies and gentlemen, your favorite part of the show is quiz time, and it is here. As usual, we will be going in order. Angel going first, Chris going second, and then Ray is going to go as our guest. She gets the, to round it out. 
Hey, uh, someone's got to be the caboose, okay? That's fine. <laughs> that's usually where all the expensive shit is anyway, so don't worry about it. Uh, anybody who's played Red Dead Redemption 2 knows that in the caboose, you blow up the fucking uh, thing with dynamite, the safe. Usually you got about $300 cash in there. I haven't played it in a while, but it's a fantastic game if you haven't played it. So, Paul B., get your pen and pencil out uh, and, your pa- and your paper. Get ready to go here. This is it. So, question number one, ladies and gentlemen, 10 questions. The winner gets a pair of assless chaps that's already been decided. Brian is the winner, even though we're not even done yet with season one of Quiz Time. He is already (laughs) winning that race. So question number one, ladies and gentlemen, question number one. Which queen had the shortest reign of Henry VIII's wives? Now, you know the rhyme of the song, probably usually from the movie Ghost with uh, whatever Demi Moore and that dude that gets killed and comes back anyway. Um which queen had the shortest reign of Henry VIII's wives? Is it A, Anne of Cleves, B, Catherine Howard, C, Anne Boleyn, or D, Jane Seymour? Angel, what is your guess, please? I have no idea. I'm going to say C. Angel's going to go with Anne Boleyn. It's usually, I mean, a lot of people heard that name before. A lot of people heard that. Christopher, what's your guess? I'm going to go with C. Christopher also is going with Anne Boleyn. Ray, your answer, please. Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. Ladies and gentlemen, we start off with a perfect round. Nobody got yes. that one right. <laughs> uh, in fine tradition, uh, the answer was A, Anne of Cleves. Okay. Number it two. It was my number two, for real. Well, you know, somebody's got to get a silver medal. And then uh, I guess that was her. So number two. <laughs> Number two is a quote, quote, anarchists are simply unterrified Jeffersonian Democrats, end quote. Was the individual who said this a Chomsky and there's no P in Chomsky, Chomsky, that's not a real person, Uh, B, Chomsky, sometimes, B, Benjamin Tucker, the famous American anarchist, Uh, C, the lovely Emma Goldman, or D, uh, the recently passed away David Graeber. Uh, Angel, your guess, please. I'm going to say B. You're going to say Angel's going to go with B, uh, Benjamin Tucker. All right, the famous American anarchist. Go ahead, Christopher, your guess, please. What was the first one? Uh, Chomsky. Oh, yeah. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I went off on a tangent. That's there. all right. I forgot about That's it. okay. Uh, You're forgiven. <laughs> Goddamn right I am. Uh, I forgot it was Chomsky, too. Yeah, I did. For the um, P. Like we literally just, yeah. yeah, chomp. Like, I literally just made a joke about it. Boo doo doo. Man, I want to fix the memory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no fucking clue. Um, C. You're going to go with uh, the great and powerful Emma Goldman, okay? Uh, oh, no. no, no okay, no, I'll get uh, you. Didn't uh, know it's, who too was. Late. it's too late. <laughs> Did you not? Did you? Who'd you think it was that you were guessing? Uh, not Emma Goldman. Not Emma. Some <laughs> other guy. <laughs> not Emma Goldman. The others would be David Graeber and uh, Benjamin Tucker. What? Was there only three choices? Oh no, no Chomsky. There I go again. <laughs> Jesus Christ! He is uh, fucking you up today. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. No. Yeah, no. D D is Graeber. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is that that? There was no way that was Emma. Well. Fine. Watch, I say that, and then I'm gonna fucking. Um, I'm putting my fucking. Oh my man, mouth. let's hope and not. Pro- yeah, let's hope not. You know the answer, Jay. Don't fuck with me. I'm. Let's deep. hope not. You're, okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right, and Ray, your answer, please. Final. 
Oh, I'm just going with Chomsky. I, I always felt like that guy was a traitor to the cause. Okay, he is. Uh, he is still a great linguist, but uh, uh, terrible. Sure. Just a traitor to the cause. Fair enough. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Angel has taken the lead on this one. All the right. answer was B, Benjamin Tucker, the great and powerful. <laughs> uh, number three. This is a good one. This is a good one. And as an artist, I expect you to know something about this, Ray. Number three, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. yes. Le Pousse. Le Pousse. Okay. Not Le Pousse. It's Le Pousse. A landmark in Paris is a large sculpture of what body part? Is it A, the Perhaps. arm? B, the penis? C, the nose? Or D, a thumb? Angel, your guess, please. I'm going to say D. Angel's going with D, and it's not the D, but D as in thumb, not the dong. Christopher, your guess, please. I'm going to go with thumb as well. Christopher also is going with thumb. All right, let me mark that down. And Ray, your opportunity to shine. Um, enough will say not my specialty. I'm going to go with uh, letter E. Fuck you. <laughs> Would you believe you got that one wrong, unfortunately? Anarchism. Come at me, bro. <laughs> Angel has doubled her lead, and Chris is on the board with thumb is the right answer. All right. All right. So I got that one. I was expecting Christopher, honestly, to go for penis because he's good for dick jokes. I was pretty sure. I, you know, I, I figured it was hard to resist. I got some, it, it was hard to resist. It took a lot of willpower. No pun intended. <laughs> Proud of you but for figured, holding on, Chris. <laughs> I figured I made it. A, a good enough dick joke last week to kind of carry me in through this it, it certainly did I, uh -huh. i'm just i'm I'm like i'm just fucking coasting down the hill on that dick <laughs> i love it dick you joke know. avalanche yes <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that that's our next band name by the way <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> that's great number four ladies and gentlemen historical question number four what russian ruler taxed anyone that had a beard it's not a joke it's not a joke joe Number four, which Russian ruler taxed anyone that had a beard? Was it A, Tsar Ivan the Terrible, B, Tsar Alexander III, C, Tsar Peter, also known as Peter the Great, or D, Tsar Nicholas I, not the second. The second was the last Tsar of, of Imperial Russia. This would be the first. So, Angel, your guess, please. I feel like A is just thrown in there to trick you to say. Or is it? Yes. So I'm going to say uh. B. Uh, Angel's going to go with Alexander the Third. Okay, let me get that down here. Christopher, your answer, please. Uh, I'm going to go with D. You're going to go with Tsar Nicholas, as in Dickhead Nicholas the First. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. We got uh, D for Dick, and then we have Ray. Your guess, please. Out of these guys, who do you I'm think? Your text. I'm going with. I'm going with D. On account that um, I tend to associate Nicholas II with a fluffy mustache and a great big bushy beard. Well done. And I think that the children are always <laughs> rebelling against the parents. Yeah. No, no, no. You, I think that that was a fair guess. He did have, in fact, he was almost indistinguishable from his cousin, uh, King yes. George. It's wild. Agreed. They almost look yes, the same. The same. Uh, unfortunately, nobody totally got wrong. that one right. It was A, wasn't it? It was Peter the Great. Oh, taxed beer. God damn it. Um, that's okay, ladies and gentlemen. That's okay. The stats remain the same as we go forward into the uh, middle of the order. Number five. 
Which state in its entirety was listed as one of America's most endangered historic places? So the entire state. The entire state, Joe. Uh, number Okay, number New five. New Jersey. <laughs> Christ, if only. Uh, number five. <laughs> a, it was it A, Montana, B, Wyoming, C, Florida, or D, Vermont? Angel, your guess, please. I'm going to have to say D, Vermont. You're going to go with... The Green Mountain Boys up in Vermont. Okay. Christopher, your guess, please. Repeat the choices one more time for me. Sure. Was it Wow, a- you suck at this game. I do. I do. <laughs> you do not. You stop it. Don't be showing dissent on quiz time. Uh, a, Montana. B, Wyoming. C, Florida. The Dong of America. Or D, Vermont. I did float, uh, you know, Florida I'm, might be in I'm, there for dick jokes. I'm just, I, for comedic value alone, I'm going to go with the dick of America. <laughs> yeah, we need to say dong more often. All right. Now, Ray, what is your guess, please? Was it A, Montana, B, Wyoming, C, Florida, or D, Vermont? I'm, I'm going to say Wyoming. Ray's going to go. Wyoming. Ladies and gentlemen, Angel has opened up a substantial lead this time around. Vermont, what the fuck? Vermont. So Vermont got that one. Ben and Jerry's land, also Bernie Sanders land. Anyway, number six, which city has the highest sales tax in the U.S.? I love doing these because it's it's astronomical, I'm sure, as many of you can guess. Uh, Would it be A, San Francisco, B, Tacoma, C, Chicago, or D, Nueva York. Angel, your guess, please. I think you would want to say San Francisco or New York. Or would I? Yeah, but I'm going to say B. You're going to go with Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. Okay. Christopher, your guess, please. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with New York. Christopher is going with the Big Bad Apple. Ray, round it out for us. What do you have? Sweet home, Chicago. She's got Chicago, (laughs) the home of the deep dish pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, Angel is now certainly cheating because she is uh, right again. (laughs) I heard she cheats. You know, I I can see a reflection of her phone screen in her glasses. No, it's actually the computer. I'm just throwing that. No, don't bullshit me. My phone is right here. Boo! Yeah, boo! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, only half your audience cheat. can see that, bro. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, can you believe that the uh, sales tax rate that we're talking about in Tacoma, Washington, approaches eleven percent? Uh, it's insane. Yeah, it's disgusting. I would. I want to. I want to live there, and I swear to God, if I ever see a fucking pothole or a dandelion in my park, I'm gonna have a riot. <laughs> well, and everything. Get, guess what? You better <laughs> start filling the bottles. I better see some nice, nice roads and no potholes. Don't yeah. you guys remember the anarchist group that was up the there roads. filling potholes? Remember that? Actually, I planted a bunch of potholes where I used to live as well. I was inspired by that. I remember I, um, that. I, I put a lot that. of flowers in, though. Yeah. Oh, cute. Yeah, cute. It's like, don't mind me. I'm just watering my asphalt flowers. It's <laughs> awesome. All right. So num- number seven. This is a quote. Direct quote. Quote, you cannot go. <laughs> You'll like this one, Christopher. Quote, you cannot go to a 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. And I'm not joking. End quote. 
<clears throat> was it A, Donald John Trump, B, Dan Quayle, C. Oh, God, you guys shit on Dan Quayle so hard, man. C, Broseph Biden. He is stupid. <laughs> like... Broseph Biden or D, George W. Bush. Angel. Okay, all four of them are dipshits. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to. Shitting on Dan Quayle is like the low-hanging fruit. It, it truly is, and I pick it. I'm going to have to say A. Uh, a Angel's going with A, Donald John Trump, the yeah. former disgraced uh, ruling warlord of America. Uh, Christopher, your answer, please. Only because she's been on a hot streak, I'm going to go with A. And if she gets this one fucking wrong, you're an asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. I've always been an asshole. Oh, uh, <laughs> sharp. Sharp as the action. All right. And Ray, your guess, please. Um, I'm going to go with um, Brosif Biden, the home of the Biden burger. It's like a regular hamburger, except it's Let's shaped like a Brandon. foot. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's guess what? Brandon's on the board. Ray's got one. She's the only one who got that one, right. right? We have Brosif Biden, who literally yeah. said, quote, you cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. And I'm not joking. End quote. Okay. Hey, do you know what I hear when you say that, JP? Go I on. actually hear, hi, my name's Joe Biden, and I'm a raging piece of shit. Well said. Yeah, that's what that was. Not a I nice hear. No, right not here. a nice man. Not Speaking a nice man. Privilege. Um, mm, goddamn. Number he, eight. He's so old and Brandon. sleepy, though. Let's go. That's my favorite. Let's go, Brandon. I know, right? I got hairy legs, and the kids would rub them under the water. Mm -hmm. Any... I, I thought somebody like literally like cut that clip up. No fucking way. I it know. was a real clip. I know. We've you... played it on this show. We have. I just, when I first heard it, I was kind of like, what? He didn't, he didn't really say that, did he? Oh, he certainly no, did. Yes, he did. He certainly did. Number he eight. He also sniffs children. He also sniffs children. Yes, that I knew. Rather uncomfortably. It's rather disgusting. For the small children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Number eight, quote, nuclear weaponry, of course, would be the be all end all of just too many people on too many parts of our planet. I'll read that again. <laughs> quote, nuclear wep nuclear weaponry, of course, would be the be all end all of just too many people on too many parts of our planet. End quote. Was it the which one of them said this? Was it a Rick Santorum, B Sarah Palin? C, Hillary Clinton, who is now the chancellor of Queens University in Belfast, or D, Nancy, fuck you, Pelosi. Angel, what is your guess, please? Mm, I'm going to have to say A. Angel is going with the disgraced Republican senator from Pennsylvania, Richard Santorum, who was also against people using birth control. A good Christian man. That and absolutely don't ever, ever, ever look up Santorum on Urban Dictionary. Do it. We totally don't want to push that to Do the it. top of the Google results. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's funny. Christopher, what's your guess? What was B again? Uh, B would be Sarah Palin. Uh, no, no, no! Don't, don't guess her, Chris. She's uh, she's dumb. She doesn't even know what nuclear weapons are. Yeah, no, no. She could see um, Russia from her house, though. It's a tough one. I know. I did. You know, these, these are, uh, this are black belt shit right here, man. Go ahead. You know, I'm gonna go with. 
you know, if Dan Quayle would have been one of the answers, I would have went with that, you know, because it's, <laughs> no, I think the human it's race sneakier to than that. System. Uh, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was my great. God. We had fun at his. Experience. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Hill Dog. You're going to go with old Hill Dog. God, that was a great yes. episode. Okay. All right. We're referring to South She's Park. Snook in her snooze. <laughs> you know, I think Hillary likes nuclear weapons. Um, oh. So I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go to a uh, good old Nancy Pelosi on this one. Um, on account that this sounds like one of those weirdo pandering things that someone would say if they were trying to convince an uneducated electorate they're not a fucking warmonger. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. He falls into that category yes. for me. So, yeah, let's perpetually drunk Perpetually yeah. stupid Pelosi. Yeah, no, bring it on. A couple on. of my ties for lunch, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we have a perfect round. Nobody got one right. It really? was, in fact, Sarah. I could see Russia from my house. Aww, yeah. Well, you know what? Bad. I'll tell Very you what, sad. JP. You did a really good job not mispronouncing nuclear. Because if you just said nuclear, I would have pegged her right away. Well. Yeah, that was Jimmy Carter, really. It was really that he was the one who said. There's nu- a lot of them nuclear, that can't nuclear, say nu- nuclear, 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 yeah, nuclear, yeah. He was nuclear. Like, what a dickhead! But he builds houses for people that don't have. Very them, bad, so, very bad. You know, very bad. Not he's not a terrible person, I guess. 100. percent Okay, number nine. This is a geography question. Which of the following are the smallest recognized sovereign countries? Or which one? Excuse me. Which of the following is a the smallest sovereign nation on Earth? Okay, recognized too. Almost um, recognized. So not my house. Not your house. A Look. was it A Andorra, B Monaco, C Vatican City, or D Tuvalu. So it's A Andorra, B Monaco, C Vatican City, or D Tuvalu. Angel, your guess, please. I'm gonna say Tuvalu. You're gonna say I Tuvalu. Don't know. All right. <laughs> I have no clue. Christopher, which one do you think it is? Uh, see, for me, in my mind, it's a toss-up between Monaco and Vatican City. Yeah, I can see why you would say that. Don't fucking patronize me, Jay. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what a bromance you, you guys know, have. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. That's one way of putting it. Uh, I yeah. am gonna go with Vatican. City. Christopher's going to go with uh, the child molesting Vatican City. Uh, child yeah. molesting capital of the world. Yes, indeed. Uh, right. oh, first, Bobby Boopy. Mozzarella and 13 year olds, you guys. Anyway. Right. Um, wow. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Vatican City. And for me, it was also a toss up, but I feel like Monaco has a princess. Yes, so they probably no. have at least a little bit more in the Vatican City. Yeah. Like, uh, last time I checked, Vatican City is like 12 square miles. How could you get any fucking smaller than that? Unless it's my house, which ought to be internationally recognized. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is Andorra also has, like, I think there's a bishop that's the head of the country, and the and president of France is considered the prince of Andorra, along with the uh, being one of the... Oh, Roman I didn't realize Andorra had a, 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 a princip with France. That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, along with Monaco, too. Monaco, the French president has... I automatically think of Monaco as having that connection with the, with the French team. Yeah, but it's Andorra as well. Um, but would you believe, ladies and gentlemen, that Vatican City is the correct answer? The correct ah. one. 
right. So congratulations. Uh, I'm fucking. I'm fucking smart. Smart, <laughs> <laughs> yo. Uh, number ten, and this was uh, one of Jay's favorite things to select because I do enjoy these history ones, as you all well know. It's sort of my thing, along with political science. So number 10, rounding out this week's quiz time, number 10, which of the following was the largest historical empire? Now, mind you, I don't want to hear the classics come in and the classicalists tell me, well, Jay, you know, you got to talk about the Median Empire and the Scythians. Listen, we're talking about documented. Unfortunately, lots of empires have come and gone and they didn't write anything down, so we can't really talk about it. So this is not going to be speculative. This is what we can prove, right? It's a Sith empire. You're talking about the Galactic Empire? No, I'm talking about the biggest about... documented. I, I I saw documentaries on this. Yeah, several on like, on this, on, nine this earth. Of them. on on this Earth. On this Earth, we're gonna go it's with significantly this less fucking fun. I watch those documentaries on this Earth. Oh well, one. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you for your service. You're uh, welcome. Number ten. Which of the problem <laughs> was it? A the Spanish Empire. Was it B, the British Empire, C, the Mongol Empire, or D, the Russian Empire? Angel, what's your guess, please? I just, I'm just going to say C because I like the Mongol Empire. You the goddamn best. Mongolian. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Mongolians. You're breaking my shitty wall. Christopher, what's your guess? Get him with sticky, sticky, sweet shout pork. <laughs> sweet shout pork. <laughs> uh, Man, none of those were what I was thinking off the top of my head, so now I feel fucking clueless. Um, what was B again? Uh, the British Empire. The British, okay, the British Empire. You know, fuck it, I'm going go to I'm gonna go with the British Empire. Christopher is going with uh, Her Majesty's Britannic Empire. All right. Hey, the, sun, the sun never sets on Britain. That's right. Um, so what are you going with? I blow it geography, so I'm just going to go with what I know about our bad mamma jamma, Mr. Genghis Khan, and like 80% of us have genetic material passed down from him. Uh, one in Makes 500. feel like he had a really big sphere of influence as far as uh, spreading his seed. Well, so I'm going. I'm going with the Mongols, baby. One, the, you know, this one in five hundred Chinese people have uh, his DNA. Yeah, it's like, but it's like one in twenty European people. Well, yeah, because people don't realize he got into Poland. Like they don't realize how. Yeah, far my people. <laughs> not, not good. Not good for not them. Not good. Not good for us. Better if, than the Russians, though. If you guys are any of you are Russians, interested, never did anything good for us. No, certainly not. <laughs> Um, if you're interested at all in the story of uh, the Great Khan and the Mongol Empire, Dan Carlin does a phenomenal podcast that basically is an audio book. I know it's they used to be free. Cannot recommend that enough. Yeah, it's Wrath of the Khans. Uh, it's it's tremendous, and he talks about what uh, what happened in China, like the the destruction of what I guess they called it Peking back in the day. Now it's Beijing, the the capital city. What happened there? Like killing a million people, and like people were like slipping in the fat. Of, of human beings Ugh. that have been burnt off, you know, these, these towering, uh, you know, corpses that have been burnt. Cause you know, they, they apparently they, the Khan asked them for something and they said, fuck you. And the Khan said, okay, get ready to get fucked. And they properly got fucked really, really hard in the ass. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the correct answer is the British empire. Uh, just to give you some perspective. Okay. Some perspective. Congratulations, Christopher. Some yeah, perspective on the totals. Glory. 
So the Russian Empire covered 16.92% of the Earth. The Mongol Empire, by contrast, covered 17.81% of the Earth. And then finally, at the height of the power of, of the British Empire, it was, and that was in 1920, I believe, 26.35% of the Earth was under its control. Um, a lot of people guess, like, you know, I, I was just doing a little bit of research. A lot of people believe Rome, which is a decent guess. I mean, if you're looking at it just from a Mediterranean point of view, I mean, that's their lake essentially for, for a long time. But the British, you know, the sun never sets. That literally means what the, what the, what the phrase says. The sun well, never sets. you hear that, that the sun never Empire. sets on the British Empire. That's, uh... um, they, they, um, they gave it most of it away as most did the european most of the european countries during the uh 60s when you know especially the african colonies and stuff like that you know were demanding to be let loose of the leash uh from europe uh which happened uh, they still hold on like the falkland islands some of you may be familiar that they went to war with argentina over it and it was a huge disaster for argentina it was an initial success and an unmitigated disaster for argentina in fact their military junta uh fell apart as a result um it was it was actually really tragic too because a lot of these argentinian soldiers were sent over there and they got fucking chewed up so Margaret Thatcher was not fucking around about those Falkland Islands. Mm-hmm. You know, she wanted those goddamn Falkland Islands. She, she got wasn't fucking around. Wow. Really Had to be done. Shot. Had to be done. <laughs> Had to be done. So uh, that concludes yeah, quiz time this week. And uh, Angel, yes, is the big winner. Uh, big wiener. Unfortunately for her, the assless chaps have already been spoken for. Hey, so this is sorry. a really important question. Um, and maybe your listeners can hash this out for us. Go on. Um, as a former rider of off-road and on-track motorcycles, never the large handlebar cruising types, my assumption has always been that all chaps are assless, and that is, in fact, what makes them chaps. Uh, it yes, just but, sounds cool to say assless yeah, chaps. Yeah, here's the thing. Most well, of and them then you, shouldn't you call them assless pants? No, because they are chaps, and chaps are meant to be worn with something else. Like for cowboys, a lot of times they are worn with denim. Okay, or with your bare ass. Yeah, not with your bare ass. You're like a leather man, though. Like, well, that's where we're getting with this. Gay bar, homie. I'm not like. There's, there's, there there is a slight homoerotic nature to to the idea of using the term assless chaps because we're gonna oil up the cheeks. Yeah, the cheeks will be oiled. This is a. This is a. For those of you who aren't listening, this is a, a squeeze the cheek and jiggle moment. I get you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm there you curious. go. No, okay. there's your answer. And okay, um, uh, Brian is firmly in the lead. So once again, I'd like to thank our guest, Ray, for coming on and discussing mutual aid and participating in quiz time with us. Uh, I am inter- I am eternally grateful for her time and, uh, you know, for her talents and, uh, you know, for what she's doing for uh, her, her community and her friends and for the kids. I think it's wonderful for Team Mandalore. Team Mandalore is also one of our sponsors here on the Use Guys in That podcast. We are proud to have them along with her other business, which is I Paint Akron, where all accidents are happy accidents. And let's not forget that she has her own website, which is rayfaba.com, which is fine art from the Great Lakes. So again, I am very grateful for the sponsorship but most importantly uh for you coming on for being a part of the use guys family it's uh genuinely appreciated uh but ladies and gentlemen absolutely ladies and gentlemen you know what time of day it is as this show concludes i heard it's time to wash your butt 
Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Well, you know, it's a little more PG than how we'd put it. But yes. But yes. yes. Well, that's how I put it. Well, let me put it to you this way. Spooky season is here. It is upon us. You are in the middle of it. But what nobody likes is a spooky asshole. <laughs> and by what I mean by spooky asshole, perhaps the dung ditch a little too dirty, the undercarriage, the underboob, the sweats, the folds, all of the stink that comes, belly button stink. For those who have the deep crevice in you, you got to dig the lint out of there. You know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you don't fucking know. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Todd and Todd's very gay soap from Akron Apothecary from Gay Hands, cold pressed, homemade gay soap for your beautiful asshole, your genitals, vaginas, penises, whatever, thumbs, whatever you're doing, Todd is here to help you smell good. It's excellent soap. In fact, I still have the same sample. I haven't dug into it lately, but I've been using a lot of the cedar. A lot of the cedar. I've been using it. It, it, sound, it smells wonderful. There's also a bourbon that he's working on. Great soap, homemade, all natural ingredients for your asshole. I think it's wonderful. Please support our friend Todd the Gay and his very gay soap. Help him and Greg and the three dogs that they have to take care of live a normal, happy, gay American life. We defend that kind of lifestyle here on the show. We are friends of the gay community. And if you are a homophobe, you shouldn't even be listening to us. And if you don't like a clean asshole, you are also homophobic. I hate to tell you that, but that's just the way the fucking cookie crumbles, guys. <laughs> be clean, be be pro-gay and not anti and anti-gay and homophobic. Use the right soap for your asshole. Not to mention, I almost forgot to mention you guys. That the Delta variant in your asshole gets murdered in the face with Todd's gay soap. It has been clinically tested. If you have the Delta variant that's stuck in your ass, you use this soap, it's gone. Delta-free, clean ass, clean dung ditch for those special somebodies who are going to get in there and start motorboating your cheeks. We are here to help. <laughs> we are here to help you guys have a clean asshole. And with that, I thank everybody for showing up today because it is... Soap for that ass. Thank you very much. And it is soap for that ass. Uh, hopefully, I'll be talking to you guys very soon. Um, we're trying to get Brandon back on uh, to talk about some stuff that's going on down Mexico way. Interesting developments down there. Uh, one of our spots, of course, out of um, uh, Mexico, uh, Agoras Nexus. Uh, Brandon's work is tremendous. So, again, check out our sponsors. Check out Ray's stuff. And, of course, patronize our friend Todd. And the gay soap. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And uh, if you have anything, use guys in that gmail.com. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Peace.